You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Everybody, good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. It has been a long-awaited return. One month absence. Very excited to be back. Folks, we have a lot in store for you here tonight. No Kyle Russo, no James Montefusco, but that is okay. Quickly remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports, along with all of our other social media platforms. You can check us out on that ticker below. We have a couple of special guests tonight. Uh, Luke Braun, host of Locked on Vikings podcast, will be joining the show in just about two minutes. Really excited to have him on to talk about the Minnesota Vikings and their playoff chances. And then later on tonight, Nick DiMartino will be joining the show to talk about the college football transfer portal and New York trash. I like to refer to my New York Giants and, of course, the New York Jets. Um, so without further ado, just want to hit on the first topic. It's a sad one. Uh, Broncos wide receiver Demarius Thomas, former Broncos wide receiver, that is, passes away at just the age of 33 years old. Demarius Thomas spent about 10 years in the NFL. He was found in his Georgia home this weekend, believed to have had a seizure when he was showering, played from the Denver Broncos from 2010 to 2018. Then he was traded to the Texans, played also short amount of time for the New England Patriots and the New York Jets, won Super Bowl 50 with the Broncos, four-time Pro Bowler, a two-time second-team All-Pro. And his career numbers were interesting because obviously his career was not relatively long. Um, It was obviously longer than average because the average NFL career is only three years. But um, this guy was borderline elite for a while. Um, Played out of Georgia Tech, same college that Calvin Johnson came out of, 63 touchdown catches, had over 9,700 career receiving yards and 724 catches. And I remember a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers where Tim Tebow was the quarterback and Demarius Thomas had that game-winning touchdown in overtime to eliminate the Pittsburgh Steelers from the playoffs. And also, in 2013, Demarius led the NFL in touchdown receptions and in 2014 had 111 catches and over 1,600 receiving yards That also led the NFL, and the Broncos released a statement saying, we are devastated and completely heartbroken. Demarius' humility, warmth, kindness, and infectious smile will always be remembered by those who knew him and loved him. And the Denver Broncos honored Demarius Thomas on Sunday, started the first play of the game with 10 players on the field, went on to defeat the Detroit Lions by a final score of 38-10. to So the Broncos... 
still in the playoff hunt in the AFC. But at this time, we're going to introduce our special guest with another team that's in a playoff hunt in the NFC, the Minnesota Vikings, and it is Luke Braun. Uh, Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight? Doing good. How are you, man? Uh, I'm doing awesome. First off, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell the folks a little bit about your Locked On Vikings podcast and what that's about? Sure. Locked On Vikings is a daily show on the Minnesota Vikings. We have episodes every Monday through Friday. Um, You can find that that free on all platforms, including YouTube, if you're interested in a video component. Um, I also write twice a week at zonecoverage.com and I also do the locked on NFL podcast, which is a daily podcast on the whole NFL. And I am the co-host on Tuesdays on that podcast. Also available everywhere. You you find your favorite shows. So you're a busy guy. Very cool. Uh, very cool stuff. Now, um, the Vikings, obviously on Thursday night football, all of my friends told me the Pittsburgh Steelers was going to win. I went against the green and picked the Vikings despite coming off a loss to the Lions. Um, I guess my first question to you is, what do you think energized Minnesota on Thursday night? Because obviously they had that 29 nothing lead at one point. It evaporated quickly, but they held on to win 36-28, to improving to 6-7 and on the season. Sure. Well, I mean, you become the one in a one-win team. That's going to demoralize you a little bit, and so that loss to the Lions. I think it would have hurt a lot worse, though, if they weren't on a short week. They didn't really have time to dwell. They had to turn around and get ready for the Steelers right away, and sometimes that can help you get over a real rough thing when it's there's there's no time to to mourn it. There's no time to beat yourself up. We've got a game to prep for, you know, in two days. Um, and I think that helped them. Yeah, they jump out to that 29-point lead. They started miscommunicating a little bit on the back end. Things went a little wrong. They got a couple interceptions. It starts going haywire, and that's kind of been the story of the season for the Vikings, really inconsistent. They haven't really been able to put together a clean 60 minutes. They've always had some sort of disastrous meltdown that they then have to overcome, and a lot of that has led to blowing a giant lead. They led the Cardinals 20-7. to uh, they led the Lions by two scores in their other game against the Lions, and they almost lost that one, too. They've blown a lot of leads in this season, and uh, that was the biggest one, but they didn't come as close as it looks to blowing it, even though it looked like, wow, you know, it came down to the last play. But it really didn't, because if Pat Fryermuth did catch that touchdown in the end zone, which would have made it, um, you know, they were the Steelers were down by eight, so that would have been a touchdown. They would have had to get the two-point conversion. That would have been another chance to end the game. And then it would have gone to overtime, another chance to end the game. So the Vikings had built a reasonable cushion, and they'd gone through plenty of that runway, too much to be comfortable. Uh, but that 29-point lead is pretty difficult thing to blow, and even the Vikings, try as they might, couldn't quite blow it all. Yeah, it was a very interesting game, to say the least, as I was watching it. Obviously, you talked about that. Uh, fourth and goal play, Harrison Smith denies Pat Fryermuth in the end zone to seal the victory. Shout out Notre Dame. Uh, mm-hmm. t- take us through that play and what you saw. Obviously, Smith is a veteran safety who's been in the league for 10 years now. And you have a young rookie tight end at Pat Fryermuth who's been coming on as of late. And as it seemed, the Steelers offensive momentum was shifting. The veteran Smith dislodges the ball. And it seems like that Vikings defense uh, – I think it's improved a little bit as the season's gone along. I mean, I love the addition that you guys made in adding Dalvin Tomlinson to your unit. Obviously, Cameron Dantzler has been um, a decent player for you guys. But, I mean, just talk about Smith and the impact that he's had on that defense throughout the course of this season. 
Sure. Um, Harrison Smith is a nightmare for quarterbacks. Ask any quarterback that's gone up against him. Um, they all hate going up against him because he's really good. And the Vikings defense is notorious around the league for being really difficult to read pre-snap. Um, and they, they do a really good job of mixing up aligning truly where they're supposed to align or aligning somewhere some other way. And then at the snap count, rolling to something else. Um, you call that like rip Liz in a Nick Saban system, which is roughly what the Vikings run um, or just sort of disguising their coverages, disguising, disguising their blitzes. There's a lot of looks where you have eight men on the line of scrimmage, all threatening blitz who's coming, who isn't good luck to your rookie center. <laughs> um, and Harrison Smith is a huge part of all of that on that particular play. The Vikings were in a pretty simple defense. They were in basically two man or their version of a two man, which is a little more complicated than that. But you can think of it as man to man coverage with two high safeties. Um, Anthony Barr was on Fryermuth there and he's posting up that middle of the field uh, play. His, I don't think he was in like pure true man to man. He was posting it up, which means he's actually going to sit underneath it a little bit and it, on a seam route, which is what Fryermuth ran there. He just ran straight between the safeties. Um, Barr's job is to sort of be in like a trail position where he'll affect the route, try to disrupt the timing and then kind of hang back behind it a little bit to essentially bait Ben Roethlisberger into throwing that ball. And then a safety can come over and break on it. And Harrison Smith ended up being that safety. Actually, both safeties broke on it. And Harrison Smith was the one that punched the ball out. Um, and he's just got that kind of playmaking ability. He's very quick to, to read everything, break on everything. Um, and he just, I mean, anywhere he is on the formation, he's going to wreck something. And that's kind of the job that he has. He's just a dude that causes problems. Absolutely. I know the Vikings also had built this lead because of what they were able to do on offense. And obviously Mm -hmm. their defense eventually did shut the door. They bent, but they didn't break. Uh, Dalvin Cook, I have have a – not in New York, but um, Dalvin Cook had over 200 rushing yards – on this game averaged over seven and a half yards per carry Minnesota really did a good job feeding the chef in this game Dalvin Cook we weren't so sure if he was going to play but can you just talk about his performance and what he means to this Minnesota offense that was without Adam Thielen Sure. I, I want to make sure we give credit where it's due to the big boys up front. Um, Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, Mason Cole. It's been a bit of a ragtag bunch. There's been a lot of movement up there, and they did a phenomenal job moving the Steelers around. The Steelers' interior and their run defense is kind of known for getting pushed around, um, and it's nice to kind of add ourselves on the list as you know a team that, that could really bully them up front, and everything kind of started from there. Tons of huge holes to run through. Um and I think Dalvin Cook did a really good job, and it's going to sound like a critique of him, but it's not, of kind of protecting himself in these runs. Um, he did a really good job of glancing off of contact and not just lowering his shoulder and taking it. There are running backs who that's their style, and that's fine. You know, if you're Leonard Fournette or go throwback, Adrian Peterson was this kind of guy. You, if you're coming at him, he's going to go through you. He's going to hit the crap out of you, and then you're going to be reticent to tackle him later in the game. Um, and he would get better as the game went on. But... Uh, Dalvin Cook is much better at angling himself in a way and kind of luring you out of position, luring you out of the gap where all you'll ever get on him is an arm tackle. And it's a great way for him to protect himself so he can play through a shoulder injury like what he has without taking crazy contact. Now, he did bowl over a guy. He'll go into contact. He'll lower his head and he'll do what he has to do. You know, grit his teeth, take the pain. He's the toughest dude ever. Ask any Viking player. Um, But I thought he did a really good job of playing smart 
so that he didn't put himself in a dangerous situation and risk his availability. Um, but I mean, he's an emotional centerpiece for the team and he makes everybody in front of him look better with just how good he is at spacing himself, how smart he is and how good he is at controlling his speed and being patient, running fast when he has to run fast, running slow when he has to run slow. That's an underrated thing that a lot of young running backs struggle with that Dalvin cooks really, really good at, um, placing himself exactly where he's supposed to go and making it really, really difficult for a defender to get into the gap with him because he can go from gap to gap to gap without slowing down. It's a really rare thing for running backs. Yeah, and I noticed that too. Dalvin Cook has the ability not to not just to cut back, but he takes his time, right? He lets the line... He's a slalom kind of, skier is the right, way I put it. Yeah, uh, go through their progressions, uh, get to that second level. Um Kirk Cousins, Captain Kirk, I like to call him. <laughs> Not his best game statistically wise on paper, but enough to get it done. Uh, he's never really been good on prime time. I mean, that goes really without saying. But he helped anchor this Vikings offense to 458 yards of offense against a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that isn't necessarily bad. They have talented players on that defense. Um, talk to me about Kirk Cousins and what – he's meant to this Vikings team. What has he been doing well lately and where does he need to improve upon maybe in one specific area? If the Vikings are going to make a playoff run. Yeah. Look, I've been one of the most critical of Kirk cousins, people all over the sphere of like Vikings coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I hater as it were, but I've never gone the time route. Um, I don't find that to be a particularly persuasive point because it boils down. I mean, look, Kirk's played what 120, 130 games in, in his NFL career, and like right. 18 of them have been in prime time. Like, we can't take away that much of his resume and pretend we're making a point about him. I think at that point, the sample is so small, we're making a point about variance. Um, and honestly, has he actually played worse in prime time than not? I feel like the answer is a little closer to neutral than the reputation is, but you know, we get into a very QB winsy place. He's six and 17 or whatever the hell the record is. Um, I, I don't really like that, but in terms of like what he was in that game, he was a game manager. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with being a game manager. I would call Tom Brady a game manager too. It's a label you can wear proudly. And I would also call Tom Brady the greatest quarterback to ever do it. Um, but there is, you know, something to be said for, look, you got a playmaker like Dalvin cook. Your O-line is kicking the absolute crap out of him. Just be a handoff machine today. And you know, don't just don't wreck it. And that's okay. Right. You know, W is a W right. And when you're called on to do more, you got to be able to do more. And maybe we get into some problem areas there. Um, but when you're not called on to do more, I'm not going to critique a quarterback for, getting the win he was a little off in his accuracy there are some hitches in his mechanics that i think he's just in a couple of bad habits right now it's kind of like a golf swing sometimes you get a weird thing in your elbow and you got to work it out before you can stop slicing it um there's some little tiny nitpicky things about that and i've talked a ton about his decision making and all that we could go way into the weeds on Kirk Cousins, but <laughs> suffice it to say i think the way to think about him is he's ron burgundy he reads whatever's on the teleprompter and it doesn't matter if that makes sense or not. He is going to execute whatever the coaches tell him to, no matter what. And he, he struggles a lot when he's asked to change on the fly to an adapting circumstance. I agree uh, to, to an extent with that, for sure. I do see uh, where people are coming from with Kirk Cousins. You know, he's a game manager. I do, I do think that um, his numbers suffered in part to not having Adam Thielen on the field. I think he's a big security blanket to him. And also not having Irv Smith 
the full season, one could argue, you know, obviously they've been out him without him sure. for a while. I think Tyler Conklin has done a serviceable job um, to say the least, but you know, uh, he, he is throwing to some young wide receivers. So I'm interested to see the longevity of this Adam Thielen injury. I don't know if you know the extent of that injury, it's a high ankle sprain, so those tend to linger, so I don't know. But I wouldn't sleep on K.J. Osborne. Got, I mean, 80 of, like, what was it, a 75-yard touchdown, 70-yard touchdown? Yeah, yeah. Like, a gigantic chunk of Kirk Cousins' yards on the day came to a long bomb to K.J. Osborne, and that ain't the first time. No, it's not. Um, can you talk about this young receiving core stepping up? Like, what specifically has Osborne done to pop onto the scene? Because if I remember correctly, he was a day three pick in the 2020 yes. draft, correct? Right. Uh, he was mostly a Buffalo guy, transferred to Miami, grad transfer for his final year of college, came out for the draft. He was a fifth-round pick, mostly as a special teamer. I would call him, in his rookie year, I don't think he was remotely rosterable as a receiver. He was just bad at it, and he really only made the team on special teams and then eventually lost that job, too. Um, but he went in the offseason, and he worked with... Uh, Justin Jefferson and all of Justin Jefferson's LSU buddies, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, um, Justin Jefferson's older brothers. And something happened on that field because when he showed up to camp and the Vikings don't even take credit for it. They're like, yeah, he showed up and he was suddenly incredible. Um, He tracked the ball better. He runs better routes. He's better focused. Um, Of all the players on the Vikings, it's going to sound like a cliche, but he has like the craziest work ethic. I don't know if there's a Viking that works harder than KJ Osborne literally first in last out, like every day at camp. Um, and so all of that stuff has culminated into a player that has improved at stuff. You usually don't see players improve at in adulthood, these sort of instinctual things like being able to track the ball, being able to space yourself on a search route, things that are more about feel than they are about mechanics or technique or things you can rehearse and learn. It's more about instinct and that kind of blood in the water kind of mentality. Um, and he's improved at all of that to the point where people in Minnesota, I mean, Vikings fans and Vikings media alike are going, well, can this guy be a wide receiver too? Once Adam Thielen leaves, like Adam Thielen's on the wrong side of 30. We got to think about what the world after Adam Thielen's going to look like. This is sort of a preview of that. Can KJ Osborne be the second wide receiver after Jefferson? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And it's very interesting too, because I think Minnesota is in an interesting spot right now because there is youth at the wide receiver position outside of Thielen, of course, and then they're also starting to get younger on that offensive line. Obviously, they dumped the contract of Riley Reef. Mm-hmm. They went out. They drafted Christian Darasaw, uh, who did not play in this game against the Steelers. The Vikings on defense had five sacks. The Steelers had none. You mentioned before, we got to give credit to those big boys up front. They were great in the run game, but talk about how they were in pass protection because it seemed like they really did their job. Yeah, they were better in this game in pass protection. It has been a problem this season. It was not against the Steelers, and that was refreshing. Um, Darisaw, obviously, he's hurt, so they've got Oli Udo, who's playing backup left tackle. Udo has been the right guard for most of the season. He's been a catastrophe. And Mason Cole, who was the backup center, played a little bit of starting center when COVID, when uh, Garrett Bradbury was on COVID IR, maybe even got close to, maybe even took the starting job from Bradbury, but then he had to move to right guard when Ole Udo had to move to left tackle to replace Darisaw. So it's all been shuffling around. Yeah. Um, Mason Cole has been great 
at right guard. He's been very, very good. A lot of Cole's problems stem from the challenges of being a center. Having to, He's not very good at snapping the ball. He's not very good at setting his hands after he snaps the ball. But if he doesn't have to, have to snap the ball, he has no problem at all. So right guard seems like a really good fit for Mason Cole. He might stay there. And when Derisaw comes back, Ole Udo goes to the bench. That seems like how things are going to go there. But in terms of, of pass protection, the Vikings have had to do a lot schematically to protect their O-line. They've done a lot of quick game, probably too much quick game, cut blocks, a lot of uh, you know three-step drop, throw a little screen or something like that. And it's probably been holding the offense back. Um, the Steelers just didn't have enough up front and TJ Watt left in that game. So they didn't have, after that especially, they didn't really have enough up front to punish the Vikings for that. So they could just sort of drop back and throw. Um, and the front the Steelers have after TJ Watt just wasn't good enough to punish. Right. Yeah, I did notice that. And before I get to the next question, just want to drop this comment from a viewer, Noah Dibler. Tom is back. Noah, thank you very much for your comment. Folks, if you have any questions for Luke throughout the course of this interview, feel free to drop them. I'll uh, shoot the bin, uh, the slate here, and um, keep them coming, folks. Really do appreciate it. Now, Luke, next question. Defensively, I know we touched upon it a few minutes ago, but uh, fourth quarter, Vikings give up 21 points, right? We talked about how they got the job done offensively. Defensively, what went wrong with the game plan late in the game? Was it Were they playing too much prevent against the Steelers, or what was going no, on? No, no, no. There, there wasn't any prevent, I don't think, in this game until the, like, the very, very, very end with you know right. 10 seconds left. But even that, last play of the game, they were in man coverage. Um, no, it was miscommunications, I would say, is the overarching thing. The actual <laughs> details of that miscommunication, you'd have to show me a specific play because it's a different thing every time. Um, but it's a lot of, you know, hey, I'm in, like, for example, another thing about trail position, Two-point conversion at the end of the game. The Steelers were down 16. They scored. They got a two-point conversion. On that two-point conversion, Kendricks was in trail position. He was behind a little bit on purpose because Anthony Barr was supposed to poach that route, but Anthony Barr had gone man coverage on somebody else. He had read something differently, and that's not something you discuss beforehand. It's the kind of thing that you have to say, all right, if he goes left, we do this. If he goes right, we do that. And if you misread that, or if the two players don't read that exactly the same, they can end up way crazy out of position, and it ended up being an easy two-point conversion because of that. That kind of thing was really, really rampant, and uh, that's kind of been, again, the story of the Vikings, is it isn't necessarily the game situation, and then they switch to prevent, and then they start losing. It's that they just started playing worse. They just can't put together a clean 60 minutes. You ask them, they're just as frustrated about it as the fans. You ask Eric Kendricks, and he goes, yeah, it's crazy. we got to put together 60 minutes one of these days. But if they can put together a clean game, they can go toe-to-toe with anybody. But Mike Zimmer told the team after the locker room, that team in the first half can beat anybody, and that team in the second half, I don't think they can beat anybody. You know, it was crazy because as I'm watching this game, I'm just thinking, wow, the Vikings are finally going to win a game convincingly. It's not going to come down to the last second. It's not going to be a one-possession game. And what happens? It comes down to the last second. It's a one-possession <laughs> game. Uh, oh, you I, sweet I summer child. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to love the Vikings, you know. I, and I do agree with you. I think they could compete with any team in the NFC. But then you look on their resume, that loss to the Lions is just demoralizing. Right. So, oh, yeah. And, and how now, do you trust him? Right. Exactly. And the discipline was a problem too. 11 penalties in this game. That probably, not probably, that definitely played into the Steelers' comeback. 
So Yeah, and the corners are going to have to change the way they play. The corners are playing really, really grabby and handsy and really physically, and that's a style thing for, I mean, Cameron Dancers always liked to play handsy. That's something that people were kind of worried about with him coming out of college because they don't call it as tight in college, but they'll call yeah. you real tight on it. And <laughs> um, Bashad Breeland's played really handsy. And so teams, I, I would have to imagine, opponents are going to go up to the refs and say, hey, we noticed on tape these guys grab a lot. Be aware of it. And then refs are going to be more aware of it. And even though, you know, that's... They, they probably shouldn't allow themselves to be biased by that. They're people. They're going to be a little biased by that. It's in their head now. Um, so the Vikings are probably going to have to back that off a little bit, but then that's an uncomfortable style for those corners. So maybe it causes more problems than it fixes, and it's a whole arc the Vikings are going to have to go through. And if they're going through a moment of transitioning their scheme at the wrong moment, it could cause them the season. Right, especially playing a lot of press, man, they're, they're – is potential to be a lot of hand checking at the line, um, especially past that five yard radius. Yeah. Um, Most at the catch point is when they get really grabby and it's like a panic mm-hmm. thing. It's a, it's an immature panic thing. And I mean, look, Bashad Breland has had a really, really rough season. He's had, we'll call it ups and downs too. He's had some great moments, but probably more disastrous moments. And then Chris Boyd and Cam Dantzler are just puppies. They're just young. And so you have, you know, the elder statesman, Patrick Peterson trying to help these guys along and help them be confident but they're not playing with enough confidence. So then they'll panic and they'll grab um, right. or they'll play, you know, 10 yards off and let us an eight yard completion happen in front of them uncontested second and two. Um, and that's just a thing you do when you don't have a lot of confidence and they just, they aren't playing with confidence. It's leading to penalties. And th- then you get disciplined too. you get holding penalties, which are a thing you do when you get beat, you panic, you hold, um, you know, you fall start because you're not in the moment, right? There's, it's a lot of, the game just kind of gets away from them and they get themselves out of that rhythm. And then um, that's when the mistakes start to happen. Right. Yeah. I noticed that too uh, a lot throughout the course of Thursday night's game. And now obviously a lot of rest, the Vikings will be in Chicago this weekend. They will be, I believe that are they on Monday night football? So they go from the yeah. first game to the last game of the week. Yeah. That's very it's like a half a bye. Yeah, <laughs> half a buy. Uh, three and a half point favorites on the road at Chicago at this time. Vikings are six and seven trying to fight their way into a playoff spot. I think the seventh seed is currently held by Washington at mm-hmm. six and seven. I mean, uh, this is just my opinion. I think Minnesota is better than Washington, uh, especially now with all the injuries they're dealing with, with Chase Young, Jonathan Allen on the COVID list. But anyway, uh, not to digress there, heading into Chicago, what are your expectations for this Minnesota team? Because obviously you still have to play Chicago twice in these last four games. And these two games are very important because I think the other two, there's one against the Rams, and I'm forgetting who the other one's against for some reason. Packers and then another Packers. one against the Bears. Duh, Packers. Uh, how could I forget that one? Yeah. <laughs> so what are your expectations for this Chicago game? Are, are you going into this thing? I mean, this might be uh, – a dumb question, but are you treating this like a playoff game? Because right now the bear, these two bears games are on paper, the easiest ones left on the Vikings schedule. Yeah. I think in this NFC with how tight it is, I think nine and eight probably gets you in. But if the Vikings want a comfortable one, they probably have to start transitioning into playoff mode. They probably need to rattle a lot off. And that's two playoff teams on the docket here and two games against the Bears who have notoriously been difficult for the Vikings. Matt Nagy's five and one against the Vikings. As bad as he's been, he he owns the Vikings. So I have no idea what's going to happen in this Monday night game. We've never played Justin Fields before. We've historically struggled with mobile quarterbacks. The Bears are like totally a disaster, but... 
I don't know, sometimes playing the Vikings will cure what ails you. If you look at the Lions game, right? Or look at the Panthers, the Vikings went to overtime with them, but they also went to overtime with the Ravens and they came down to a last second field goal against the Cardinals and they beat the Packers. So I don't know what you make of the Vikings at all. Um, I don't know. It'll come down to the last play again. I guess every game is doomed to, and we'll, I guess, see what happens there. But the Vikings have had a lot of messy games in Soldier Field over the years. So get your unders ready. Yeah, it just seems like they're guaranteed to split them for some reason. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Doesn't it? Uh, I hope that's not the case. Um, so kind of a closet Vikings fan, I like, because with, with the Fran Tarkenton days and the Giants and whatnot. But anyway, sure. um, Alexander Madison tested positive for COVID-19, must mm-hmm. quarantine for 10 days. How does this impact the Vikings' uh, backfield? Because now um, – I don't know who would be after Dalvin Cook at this point and how they how they would yeah. implement a, a game plan based off of that. Yeah, so it depends on Cook's health. If Cook's shoulder's okay, I mean, Cook will get... They they've, have been plenty comfortable giving Cook all but three of the carries on the game. And then you give three carries to Kenny Wongu, who's been the kick returner, but he's also third-string running back. They just claimed Wayne Gallman, um, who played for the Giants for a long time, yep. so maybe he gets it if he can figure out the reads and figure out. But he's got experience in zone running, so maybe he can do that. Um, yeah, it's a probably not going to be a huge deal. It's probably not going to affect that many snaps because Dalvin Cook will be the guy. Health pending, though. If Dalvin Cook's shoulder gets aggravated on the first drive and somebody else has to come in, and then it becomes the Wayne Gallman show on Monday night, yeah, that might be a problem. And Kenny Wongu is a 4-3 speed, total speedster, and has no idea where to run. So he's kind of one of those rookies that does struggle. I talked earlier about Dalvin Cook and his patience and his control and his speed. Kenny Wongu, very fast, but doesn't know how to slow it down. And that's sort of... Uh, it causes him to miss lanes and maybe he, you know, blocks can't develop in front of him and stuff. And it's, it's a young running back thing. Every, every young speedster comes out of college and is used to going, you know, from zero to a hundred immediately and burning everybody's future dental salesman. Um, but in the NFL, you know, you have to be a little smarter about it because everybody's as fast as you. Right. Um, Wayne Gallman is an, Wayne, Wayne train is a very interesting player i mean i was kind of hoping the giants would re-sign him uh, i know he spent some time with atlanta and i think that'll be an interesting storyline to monitor because he used to go up and practice against dalvin tomlinson when he was on the giants who is now on the vikings so that could potentially benefit him with learning the playbook quicker than anticipated who knows but i know gallman was a very quick learner when he was with the giants but um i've got to ask you luke i mean you know this might be too far in advance here, but do you think the Vikings make the playoffs? Um, how do you think they're going to finish the season? Because this is definitely a tough four games to really end the season with. I mean, even the two Bears, they're divisional games. No divisional game is easy. So, I mean, nope. we've seen that throughout the course of the whole league this year. There's been a bunch of parity across the NFL. Yeah, uh, nobody... No Vikings game has been easy for the opponent either. I mean, even their losses have been down to the wire games, no matter who it is. Um, So look, yeah, anything's possible, but here's where I'm at with the NFC transitioning more into national mode on this. Mm -hmm. There's five teams that are six and seven right now. 
and probably one spot to go between them. Cause I think the 49ers, I don't see them slowing down and then, and the Rams are pretty much, you can pencil them in. That's two wild card spots. So now you got five teams at six and seven and two teams at five and eight that have an outside shot as well. If they win out. Um, so I don't know, maybe like, of those seven teams, somebody's going to win out. They just have to. Somebody has to win every game. And just if you, if, if everyone's games were a coin flip and you tried it seven times, somebody's going to go four and zero. It's just pretty likely to happen that way, or three and one at least. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why not the Vikings. Why the Vikings? Who knows? That's why you got to go play the games. But Bears games probably a fifty fifty proposition both ways. Even though the Bears are a disaster, mm-hmm. it's a division game. I would say kind of the same thing inverse about the Packers. Packers are a better team than the Vikings, of course, but it's a division game could be a 50, 50 proposition and who knows what to make of the Rams. You know, they get blown out by the Cardinals. They blow out the Cardinals. They kind of, they have egg laying potential in them, but they could also boat race anybody. Um, nobody's really consistent in the NFL. So it just is kind of a matter of who gets luckiest and the Vikings are one of many candidates. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you got Washington, Philadelphia in there, San Francisco, Orleans, Carolina. Yeah. Car- Carolina has been on the decline. Um, it's going to be interesting. I don't really know what to make of it, but um, Luke, is there anything you want to add here on the Vikings before we uh, let you, let you go here? Um, no, we're good. Awesome. Uh, well, Luke, if you just plug in your podcasts one more time for us, we'd really appreciate it. And as always, appreciate uh, you coming on the show tonight and sharing your insight, definitely giving people a much deeper look into the Minnesota Vikings and how they could potentially make the playoffs. Yeah, sure thing. Of course, man. Uh, You can find the Lockdown Vikings podcast free on all platforms. Anywhere you find podcasts, including YouTube, you can find the Lockdown NFL podcast there as well. Find me there on Tuesdays, but that's also a Monday through Friday show uh, with all sorts of good stuff every day of the week. And then uh, twice a week, you can find me writing articles at zonecoverage.com. Got one coming out on Wednesday tomorrow about that, uh, that interior offensive line, that Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, Mason Cole combination. Awesome. Uh, Folks, make sure to check out Luke. Uh, Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you in the future. Of course. Thanks, Luke. Yeah. All right. That was Luke Braun, uh, host of the Locked on Vikings podcast. Appreciate his time a lot for coming on and talking about Minnesota because they're a team I really wanted to hit on this week because – our staff member Gabe Flayton is a big Minnesota Vikings fan, and I kind of wanted him to kind of get a little juice from an inside scoop on them as they are well in the mix for the playoffs. May do this same thing again with another team in the playoff mix next week. But now we're going to recap some of the top week 14 NFL games before we bring on our next guest. And it all starts off with the Cleveland Browns defeating The Baltimore Ravens, one game that I predicted correctly yet again in quick picks. Uh, And we haven't really gone over the quick picks spreadsheet in a while. Um, I may have to share it with you all this week because I went 13 and one in quick picks. I was the only person to hit my upset pick. Um, You know what? Let me just share my screen. Enough of me talking. Let me guys let me show you guys the visual. Um, all right, here it is. So 
as you can see right here, Minnesota won against the green, got that correct. Cleveland won against the green, got that correct. The Washington game was the only one I missed. Uh, if I wasn't a Giants fan, I probably would have picked Dallas to win this game and went undefeated for the week, but unfortunately that didn't happen. And then the Rams uh, were my upset pick over the Cardinals. McVay's had a lot of success against Arizona, so that's where I'm at. 16 points this week. Everyone had a good week. Hank wound up coming in last, but he did go 9-5. and five. I'm in second place now as far as total points go, catching up to Paul Lombardi, who's at 159. Remember, top four teams make the playoffs in quick picks. So I'll stop my sharing. We'll kind of talk about this Browns game because the Browns improved to 7-6. and six. They beat the Baltimore Ravens, who dropped to 8-5 and five by a final score of 24-22. Now this game, Lamar Jackson did leave the field early. He was carted off but did not suffer a high ankle sprain, which is key because that would have been a week-to-week injury where they'd have to monitor Lamar's status every week. Nevertheless, Tyler Huntley comes in relief, not bad, 27-38 for 270 yards and one score. And the Browns really wide in the margin in that first half. They were up 24-6, to but then they didn't score the rest of the game. The Ravens outscored the Browns 16-0 in the second half. Huntley got his targets involved in Mark Andrews, who had 11 catches for 115 yards and one score. And rookie wide receiver Rashad Bateman finally came on the scene to shine. Seven catches, 103 yards, and it's a real good thing that he's healthy. Kareem Hunt did leave this game with an ankle injury, forced Baker Mayfield to throw the ball just a little bit more. But what really carried the Browns was their defense. They had four sacks on the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Ravens offensive line, that is without Ronnie Stanley, who was out for the year with an injury. But, uh, yeah, the Browns win this game, but they don't win it without um, some negatives. Eight players today placed on the COVID list include six active players, wide receiver Jarvis Landry, starting tight end Austin Hooper, two starting offensive linemen in Jedrick Wills and Wyatt Teller, and Backup utility guard Drew Forbes, along with edge rusher Takarist McKinley. So that's going to be interesting to monitor. And now we move on to our next game where the San Francisco 49ers edge the Cincinnati Bengals to improve to seven and six. Um, I really like the way the 49ers have been playing as of late. This game went into overtime on CBS. Brandon Ayuk scores the game-winning touchdown after the Bengals tied it up. To bring the game to OT, Ayuk had six catches for 62 yards and one touchdown, but the day really belongs to George Kittle. George Kittle not only had over 150 yards receiving on 13 catches, he became the first tight end in NFL history with back-to-back games with over 150 receiving yards and at least one touchdown. And what was more impressive is that San Francisco still managed to score 26 points without they're starting tailback Elijah Mitchell, who is filling in for Raheem Mostert, who's out for the season. Elijah Mitchell, I believe he's a fifth or sixth round rookie. So 49ers were down to their third string back in Jeff Wilson. But one thing you could talk about San Francisco's backfield is that they're consistent, right? The 49ers, they just find a way, whoever's in the backfield, to get good 
runs out of them. We saw that last year with Trey, uh, this earlier this year, Trey Sermon had a good game. Last year, J. Michael Hasty had a good game. So all in all, it comes into fruition. The San Francisco 49ers are still a really good football team. And more than likely, they're going to make the playoffs as that sixth seed. I don't see them slowing down. Jimmy G had a solid game. Is he San Francisco's quarterback? I think he should be. Do, does Kyle Shanahan think that? Well, they did spend the third overall pick on Trey Lance, so I do have my doubts. I think Jimmy G is a quality starting NFL quarterback. I'm tired of all this knock on the pocket passer quarterbacks in the NFL. I understand the league is transitioning to a more preferred mobile type of quarterback, but the older these guys get, the more they're not going to be able Move when the play breaks, not like he can't run. Um, I personally don't see the issue with Jimmy G as the starter, uh, unless you're trying to stack talent over talent with Trey Lance, who one can argue might have a higher ceiling than Jimmy G. Uh, I believe Lance started one game this year. Jimmy G, I think the concern with him is his injury history, right? His availability. That is your best ability, your availability. So that has been an issue for Jimmy G. But the real story behind the 49ers, their defense. Five sacks, two of them coming from Nick Bosa. And the 49ers defense still did a pretty damn good job without their two starting cornerbacks, Emmanuel Mosley, and then their other one. I can't remember the other one's name, but Emmanuel Mosley was placed on IR. So that's a big thing. He's going to be out for the next three weeks. And the Bengals also had five sacks in this game. So each defense played well down the stretch. But Cleveland and Cincinnati – um, both having the injury bug plague them right now in that AFC North. Uh, moving on, the Bucks beat the Bills 33-27, to another overtime game. Bills now dropping to 7-6. and six. They're on a little slide. Uh, their playoff hopes are starting to become in doubt just a little bit. The Bucks improved to 10-3. and three. Now, this game, it was two different games combined into one. The Bucks lead 24-3 at halftime. The Bills wind up outscoring the Bucks 24-3 in the second half. So the Buffalo Bills pretty much reversed what the Bucks did to them in the first half, bringing the game to overtime where Tom Brady threw his 700th career touchdown pass on a 58-yard game winner to who? Brashad Perriman. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time. Um, so yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, what the Bucks are able to do down the stretch. Uh, Tom Brady in this game had two touchdown passes, including one rushing. Um, so a good sign there for the Bucks being able to get Tom Brady spreading the ball around again. Leonard Fournette has really been a good catalyst to, uh, their offense. I really like the way he's performed. 19 rushes, 113 yards, and one score. Chris Godwin, 10 catches, 105 yards. Mike Evans, 6 for 91 and a touchdown. And their defense is led by two really good Bulls in Devin White and Shaq Barrett. Each had one and a half sacks. And then we move over to the Buffalo side. And, again, I don't know who to blame here for this, but if Josh Allen is constantly the leading rusher, there, there's something wrong with Brian Dabble. Um, you know, he's supposed to be a top head coaching candidate again heading into uh, this offseason. Right now, he's not really coaching like he wants a head coaching job. Josh Allen, 
on the day, threw the ball 54 times, completed 36 of his passes for over 300 yards. He did have the one interception along with three total touchdowns, 109 rushing yards, so he had a great game on the ground. Uh, a lot of that was keepers that he made with the Bucks playing a little bit soft defensively in that second half. But what really confuses me, Devin Singletary goes ahead and has 52 rushing yards on just four carries. They only gave this man the ball four times. And here's Brian McArdle with a comment, our uh, native Bucks fan here. We're just going to ignore that second half like it never happened. Uh, I do agree with Brian's comment because the Bills really started to turn on the heat. Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, and Dawson Knox have really been the big three for Buffalo this season. Dawson Knox with a touchdown on seven receptions, but the Bills defense really misses Tredavious White, their quarterback, and it's really shown these last couple of weeks. These number one receivers have gone off, and the Bucs have two of them on their own team. Uh, so, you know, it's very unfortunate that the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to take advantage of that yet again. Um, but Brian, I do appreciate the comment folks. Keep the comments coming uh, in the comment section. Next up, we're going to talk about the green Bay Packers against the Chicago bears on Sunday night football uh, 45 to 30. The final score. This was the highest scoring Packers bears football game since 1955. It's been that long. Um Look, it, it, it's it, it's just crazy how Aaron Rodgers owns the Green Bay Packers. Rodgers playing with that foot injury, uh, four touchdown passes. He has been a just an outstanding presence for this Packers organization over the past 15 years plus. Uh, Devontae Adams, 10 catches, 121 yards and two tutties, and also came to the aid of his quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, um, during the game, Robert Quinn, now he did have two sacks on Aaron Rodgers, but Adams, on quote, in social media land, said, question, one was mocking the belt. You know how Aaron Rodgers does the championship belt gesture? He's like, when does mocking Aaron Rodgers ever work out well? Well, Rodgers did get the last laugh. The Bears did lead this game 27-21 to 21 at halftime, um, but... The Packers came back like we all expected. Alan Lazard has really stepped up as the number two wide receiver, scored a touchdown in the second half. Devondre Campbell, having him back healthy was huge. He missed last week's game. Preston Smith with those two sacks, and Justin Fields looked lost in that second half. Two interceptions. The Bears had three turnovers as a team. Um, and then one other game I want to go over before we bring up our next guest, Nick DiMartino, who will be joining us in just about two minutes, was last night's Monday night football game out in the desert. The Los Angeles Rams defeat the Arizona Cardinals 30-23. to Rams had several COVID issues. Jalen Ramsey, Darrell Henderson, and Tyler Higbee all out due to COVID-19. And then it was just reported today that Odell Beckham Jr., was placed on the COVID-19 list, and his status for this Sunday's game is now in doubt. Matthew Stafford had three total touchdown passes, and it's crazy. It's not like this Rams team, uh, you know, has not gone through any adversity this season. They were without Cam Akers, who's out for the year, Darrell Henderson, and Robert Woods, who tore his ACL. So they're going with Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, who's been with the Rams for maybe a month at this point, 
and then Van Jefferson, a rookie wide receiver. All three of them scored a touchdown in this game. Cooper Cup is outstanding. He's been the best receiver in all of football this year. 13 catches over 120 yards and one touchdown. And the one player who really pisses me off on the Rams, and no, it's actually not Odell, it's Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald had three sacks in this game, and yes, I was rooting for the Rams to win, but Aaron Donald, his third sack on the final play of the game, put me from third place to fourth place in the in my fantasy league in the regular season final standings because uh, I have this one league where we do defensive players, and my little brother beat his opponent by one point thanks to that final Aaron Donald sack. So because of that play, I went from the third seed to the fourth seed. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the fantasy playoffs go. But back to this game, uh, Kyler Murray did not look too great. He did throw for a lot of yards, but no touchdown passes, two interceptions. Uh, obviously, Chase Edmonds trying to come back from an injury. James Conner was the focal point, two touchdowns on the ground, and had nine catches for 94 yards. There is a lot of dinking and dunking done in the desert last night. A.J. Green was the leading receiver, though. And the biggest difference for me in that game was the Rams' defense. They forced two turnovers, and now the Cardinals, you're starting to ask yourself, if you're a Cardinals fan, where are you as a football team? Cardinals started 7-0, and and all of a sudden, they're 3-3 three and three in their last six games. They've come back down to earth just a little bit. Obviously, the J.J. Watt injury has hurt them. They didn't have Justin Pugh last night on the offensive line. The Rams have now won nine out of their last 10 against the Arizona Cardinals. So even if the Cardinals finish as the one seed in the NFC, you have a right now the Rams would play the Cowboys in Dallas. And I'd expect the Rams to beat the Cowboys in the wild card round. And then if the Cardinals end up as the one, they're probably going to get the Rams again. And now it puts you in a situation where you probably don't want to play the Rams in the second round. They're pretty much an honorary wildcard team. I don't view them as a true wildcard team, but that's probably where they're going to end up. However, they are just one game back in the NFC West. Um, But at this time, we're going to bring on our next guest for the evening. It is Nick DiMartino. Nick from... Upper Saddle River, New yes. Jersey. How are you yes. doing tonight, my friend? Okay, okay. I mean, my teams are done. Yeah. I mean, the Jets are done. I mean, my other teams aren't done, but they, they are. Yeah. Well, both, both New York teams. Tonight. Um, New York trash. <laughs> um, this is referring to the Jets and the Giants. Uh, we'll start with my Giants, Nick, and um, I, I'd like your thoughts on this as well, but the Giants lose to the LA Chargers 37 to 21. Mike Lennon starting his second straight game. Daniel Jones seeing a specialist on his neck and his spine down today. Not good. The Giants season has been um, pretty much hindered with injuries. Leonard Williams left the game with an elbow injury. Dory Jackson did not play again. Uh, Herbert still managed to throw three touchdowns without Keenan Allen. Nick, how impressed are you with the, the Los Angeles Chargers and what they were able to do on Sunday against the New York Giants? 
Uh, I mean, I'm not that impressed because it's a game they're supposed to win anyway. It's just, you know, the Chargers are clearly a superior team. I'd say they turned out to be better than I expected them to be this season. I'll give them that. In that sense, you could say I'm impressed. But in terms of what they were able to do against the Giants, like, no, you're just supposed to be able to do that. Oh, yeah, no, of course, because the Giants, I mean, you could argue that they're a bottom five football team right now. I feel like they're, they're on- definitely a bottom five team. I'd say I don't know probably. about it. I mean, well, yeah, with Mike Glennon. Okay. I mean, there's three teams that are unequivocally worse than the Giants right now. I'd say the Texans, the Lions, and the Jets, are un- and, pro- and probably the Jaguars, too, are unequivocally worse than the Giants. Then right. the Giants are, like, right there at the five spot. Who oh, else yeah. is worse than them? Who else yeah. is worse? Maybe the Bears. Maybe. They would beat uh, the Giants. Oh, we'll find out. Week 16. Uh, at Where week are they 17. Playing? Sorry, the Giants play the Bears at Soldier Field. And that's going to be an interesting game because the we, Bears are probably favored. Oh, yeah, definitely at home. Definitely the Bears should be. Yeah, especially without Jones. Uh, I think the Bears should be I mean, favored. I don't to win that care game. if you have Jones or not. They, they would still probably beat the Giants. We'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, I, obviously, Kadarius Tony got placed on the COVID list today. So that stinks. The guy has had a really interesting rookie year. Um, yeah. You know, unable to stay on the field. And when he's been on the field, he's been great. But um, the, the big news of the week is Joe Judge is reportedly safe, according to Ralph Vacchiano on SNY. Giants also reportedly will force Dave Gettleman to retire at the end of the season, as I predicted. Gettleman so, in other words, says, in other words, they're firing him. Yes, but they're going to do it <laughs> the Giants' firing. way. <laughs> you, you, you know what the Giants' way is, right? They don't. Yeah, they like tell him. you to retire, and then you retire, which is essentially like telling you, it, which is basically firing you. Yeah, without firing you, right? But at the same time, like, I think if you're Gettleman, regardless of the direction the team is going, you're 70 years old, you're at least thinking about it, right? It's at least in the back of your mind. Yeah, because, you know, you have all your money and you don't have to do anything anymore. He doesn't have to. It's just he could just move to Florida. That's it. Right. But but it still doesn't change the fact that it's a firing. And you also have to remember a lot of these football guys, they want to, like, do this until they die. Like, they want to die on the football field. Some of these guys. So, you know, you could say the same thing about Coughlin. He was very old, too, when they told him to step down. And I don't think he wanted to do it. I don't think he wanted to. And I don't think Coughlin was a bad coach at all. I just think the management drove the Giants down. John Mara and Jerry Reese really drove the Giants down into a hole. And um, but I want to get your thoughts on Joe Judge. Uh, Now, obviously, my opinion on him is, yes, I am pro Joe Judge. I think he's been dealt the real raw card. I am one to point out his uh, wrongdoings as a head coach and criticize him when needed to. Um, I think he's in a similar situation that Bill Parcells was in when he first came to the Giants. His second year was not very good. Um, where do you stand with Joe Judge? Um, I don't really have an issue with him keeping him. I mean, he's in a situation that's basically unwinnable at this point. I mean, I don't know. Usually, usually the coach is the first to get the blame, whether it's fair or not, even when it's really early on. But I I will have to say, 
I mean, Todd Bowles was the head coach of the Jets for four years. He did a terrible job, probably worse than Joe Judge is doing. And they still kept him around after a second season when he proved that he was terrible. So it really it, it shouldn't surprise anybody too much because it mean it mean in other words, the Giants haven't hit rock bottom. Like they're not, they're bad, but they're not bad enough to the point where they say, okay, we need to just blow everything up and start everything all over again. So Joe Judge is in a weird position where it's like, he's bad, but not like bad enough to get rid of. Yeah. Kyle says he has to go. It's not just because of coaching and losing also got to take into account that he has had influence on these last two drafts and free agencies. Um, It's a fair argument to make, but do I agree with it? No. Because, you know, last year we saw signs of improvement with this Giants team, and that was in part because of him, right? And in year two, it's been a real disappointment. He hasn't lived up to expectations. Um, I think he is the right guy for the job. The team has been disciplined for the most part. There's no issues in the locker room. Um, The penalties have been down the last few weeks, I just think Joe judge needs to evaluate himself and change some of his coaching philosophies where, you know, I don't necessarily agree with carrying two fullbacks on the roster. Um, You know, I think it's too much of familiarity with him and not taking risks when needed to. Uh, I don't think this is a reason to fire him, but um, I do think that, if he does not improve next year, then we can have this conversation. I think Kyle, in my opinion, is jumping the gun a little bit too quick on the fire Joe Judge train. I don't think he deserves to be fired, but to yeah, each maybe their give own. him another year, depending on how bad he is next year, then maybe fire him. Like I would say, if the Giants are still this bad next year, then maybe you could probably fire. You him. have to consider it. Yeah, no, of course. Um, but no, he's not a winning head. So far, at least, he's not a winning head coach. But I don't think anybody would be. In this situation, in this situation yeah. a very few would be in this situation. Hill I mean, is not a winning head coach either so far, and the Jets aren't going to fire him. So it, they'll, get, they'll at least give him a few years probably. If Zach Taylor got two years of straight-up losing, then you have to grant that same right to Joe Judge. And I know the Bengals are a yeah. similar organization to the Giants when it comes to head coaches. They don't like to fire. Right. Uh, but Zach Wilson was the Bengals' head – or Zach Taylor, I oh, God – Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach. Wow, that was a nice uh, moment right there. Zach Taylor had two years of just flat out losing, and the Bengals kept him around. And now in year three, look what they've been able to do. I think getting Joe Judge, a new GM in the room that's willing to work with him, will be able to get the job done. Uh, You know, I don't think the Giants were far off last year. I think you have to draft players that are durable and focus on getting offensive line depth. They failed to do that last offseason. They didn't draft a single offensive lineman, and they let their best one go in free agency. They cut him due to the financial climate of the offseason. Yeah, you can't. your quarterback can't do anything without an offensive line, and the Giants have had a terrible offensive line for years. Exactly, and everyone who was saying trade for Russell Wilson, well, What's Russell Wilson going to do behind this offensive line? Look how it's working out for him in Seattle right now. No, it would be bad, but he'd be he'd be better for sure. I mean, if the Giants don't – I mean, the Giants should try to get Russell Wilson. But I will have to say, if your offensive line isn't strong, you're better off having Russell Wilson than Daniel Jones. Like maybe Wilson might not make that offensive line look so weak. Kyle has a paragraph for us. 
Biggest thing is this, why my Joe Judge argument. When a new GM comes in, almost certainly he looks to hire a new head coach. Also, Giants yes. fans want the next offensive genius to be their next head coach. Uh, I don't. I just want a head coach that focuses on focuses on the whole team. Um, well, what's an offensive genius is what I'd like to know. He's probably talking about trying to look for the next Sean McVay, I think, is what he's referring to. Is there a Sean McVay? I don't, I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, so only way to keep that offensive mind, the genius, is if he is the, the head coach. But, you know, there was all this talk about Joe Brady last year, and now he's currently without a job. So yeah. I don't think you can fire Joe Judge. I don't think there's a better option out there right now. And I don't think he's done a terrible job with this football team. He hasn't done a great job, but he hasn't done an awful job. Uh, he could have been worse. He exactly. also could have been better. Of course. Yeah, no, for sure. And on that note, we're going to transition over to your New York Jets, Nick, falling to the Saints 30 for the since we eat and the Jets have officially been eliminated, have been eliminated from playoff contention. But, you know, I'm not one to make excuses for a football team, but the Jets were without Elijah Moore, their second round pick, who was really, really starting to develop some chemistry with whoever was playing quarterback on the football field, whether it was Wilson, Flacco, or White, and now he gets placed on IR. He's out for the next three weeks, and that's a real shame. I really like this kid and the talent that he brought to this football team. You know, it's funny. Like, we spent all that time talking about the Giants, and it's crazy that, like, they were the better team. After all that we just went through with the Giants, they were, like, the better New York team. That's how bad the Jets are. By Um, a little bit. Yeah, no, no, they're they're better. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I, it's crazy to me that the Jets threw with Wilson as much as they did. They threw the ball like 42 times, twice as much as the Saints did, and only had like 19 completions. And it's like we've all seen Zach Wilson's been trash all season. I mean, not totally – to be fair, not completely his fault. I'm not saying he can't get better, but we've seen the way Zach Wilson's played, and we're putting like all of the weight on him, more so than most other teams are doing. I mean, he's throwing more than Rodgers and Brady. It's like, well, what are the Jets doing right now? It's like – it, it, like when Sanchez was their quarterback, who is uh, it like, I, mean, I get it was a long time ago, but when Sanchez was their quarterback, he didn't have to do that much. He was like what Mac Jones is right now. They ran the ball a lot and, you know, it, he didn't have to make too many difficult plays. But with Wilson, they're putting so much, <laughs> excuse me, they're putting so much on him, on his plate when he's not capable of handling it. And Zach Wilson was the leading rusher for the Jets. Yeah. That is a problem. That's a problem. I get it. Michael Carter's been out. That's really tough. But look, somebody's got to step up, whether it's Ty Johnson or whoever. Ty Johnson couldn't even catch passes. He dropped three easy passes. Yeah, uh, they definitely need another name in that backfield besides Ty Johnson. I'll tell you that much. But um, yeah, he can't be your best running back. I mean, I get Carter's hurt, but I don't know. I mean, they didn't do a good job, um, you know, trying to get running backs in the offseason. No, and Braxton Berrios absolutely cannot be your leading receiver. Um, no, no, no. I think he's a good football player. I think he deserves to be on an NFL roster. I do think he deserves to be part of a 53-man roster. But to be your number one receiver is a Well, otherwise problem. would have been more. Right, yeah. Um, that's, but, I mean, you have Crowder. You have Mims. And Braxton Berrios is your leading receiver. 
Yeah, he's. I, I don't know why that why we're targeting him the most. Yeah. It's just it's just bad offense. That's all this is. And there's no tight end to think of that's been consistent for you guys either. None. So that's a problem. Ryan too. Griffin. Maybe, yeah. That's like, a name I've heard of. He he's not even a starter on a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. No, he had, and it really sucks because you know Mackay Beckton's been out. There's been a lot of issues. George Fant, there was one play, Nick, and I'm sure you know the play I'm referring to. I'm watching it, and George Fant just completely whiffs. Uh, and then Wilson ended up on his rear end. I think I forget who sacked him. It was probably Cam Jordan, but uh, did not even touch a guy on that entire play. Yeah. I mean, you can't, your team can't do, your quarterback can't do anything when his offensive line are a bunch of buffoons. It's mm-hmm. just not going to – it's not – this whole thing is just – it's just not working. It's It, it looks comical. It looks, it's terrible. It's terribly managed. It's the worst managed offense I've seen. It really is not – and it didn't help the Jets' case that – I think Quan Alexander might have been the guy, actually. Uh, Quan Alexander had two sacks. And defensively, the Saints aren't as good as they were last year. They lost a lot of players. They lost Trey Hendrickson in free agency, just to name one there. Uh, Mario Davis, the former Jet, is on that Saints defense. So, like, look, the Saints have guys. They have guys, and it's not like the the Saints have been having a good year. They were on a losing streak. They had Taysom Hill starting at quarterback, who I believe had the longest uh, run of his career on one play, if I remember correctly. Had the two rushing touchdowns, and then having Alvin Kamara back was huge for them. Um he did have 120 yards and one score. Uh, the Jets' defensive line, I think if there's one decent proponent to the, this Jets team, I think it is their front. Right, Nick? Would you agree with that? I mean, defense, I like, you mean on defense? Yes. Yes, yes, I would. I would say that. But overall, the defense is bad. So, I, I mean, we could nitpick and say, well, this one thing is good. I mean, I don't care if the results are terrible. Yeah, that's a fair point. Tom McNamara has a comment. Uh, the Giants aren't a win-now team, so Wilson isn't the answer. Zach Wilson is on the Giants? Uh, no, I think he's referring to Russell Wilson. This might have been a comment from oh, earlier. Okay, okay. Uh, coming in a little – pinning this a little late here. But, yeah, no, I, I agree with Tom. But Aren't uh, a win-now team. Well, all I can say that we is can't Tom. have two Wilson quarterbacks in New York. That, yeah, that's that not would just be a okay. PR disaster. No. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I thought the guy thought uh, Zach Wilson was on the Giants. Okay, uh, my mistake. No, I think the the problem, but like you know, that's kind of the problem. I mean, like we can acknowledge the fact that um, they're not a win now team or whatever that means. But okay, then become a win now team. It's like, right. can Russell Wilson make you a win now team? He probably, he's good enough to do that. I mean, having getting one yeah. quarter, getting a quarterback, even if the rest of your team is trash, would in some way make you a win now team. Yeah, and all these teams that he's been linked to don't have the cap space for him, like the, the Denver Broncos, for yeah. example. The the Giants. Eh. I, don't, I just think Giant fans who don't want Russell Wilson are being delusional. Like, really? Have, yeah. I mean, look, it's all about the. I'm not saying the quarterback can. I'm not saying you're going to be the best team in the league if you get Russell Wilson, but you're going to be a hell of a lot better than you are now. And he's one of the quarterbacks who can take an otherwise really trash team. <laughs> And make them good. Not great, but good. He's he's similar to like kind of like how if you put Aaron Rodgers on the Jets, the Jets would right. be 
potentially here's why. So here's why I disagree with your statement, and I don't think you're entirely wrong, Nick. I Clearly, Russell Wilson is an upgrade over Daniel Jones, and clearly Wilson will have his moments where he can help this football team. The long-term issue I have is paying a 33-year-old quarterback the amount of money that he's due and the issues that we have up front where I think we should be putting our money on both sides of the trenches, getting edge rushers that can get to the quarterback, building an offensive line, spending uh, financial value in those areas because the Giants haven't done that over the past decade, and that's why we've had – a losing record, spend draft picks on these linemen. I get it. You have four-year windows, but it's not like you're paying any linemen this year. So if you want to make the argument to go get Russell Wilson, fine. But the Giants, Dave Gettleman has dug the Giants in a hole where they've backloaded all these contracts, Leonard Williams in particular, that they're not going to be able to afford uh, all these draft picks that they have. And they, they have nine draft picks right now, potentially ten. So yeah, I, I mean, I I would say first that's of all, you my counter argument. On some level, you could always do both. It's not like you can only spend money on a quarterback. But if I do have a choice between the Giants right now and what they look like with Wilson, even if the rest of the team is not great, I'd say just go after the franchise quarterback. That's usually right. the solution. Let's see. Tom says the Giants don't have the pieces yet, and then the pieces for what? For Russ. Mini? For Russ. Um, for Russ, the Giants have too many holes to sign Russ. It would be a bad move to get him. Steve, I do agree with you, but I do see where Nick is coming from with his argument. I, I, I do see a world where the Giants um, could do this. Unfortunately, it's not this one. Just knowing how we are, Nick. I know how we are. I don't yeah, think. I mean, we're look, I'm not it. a Giant I, fan. I don't want them. To I get personally. I personally don't want him. If you ask me who I'd rather have, Russell Wilson or Daniel Jones, I mean, you know what the answer is. But I'm just, you know, right now it's not the right time, in my opinion. But at the same time, would you rather have the same solution right now where, you know, the team is trash and you at least have Russell Wilson or the team is trash and then you have Daniel Jones? What would you rather have? Well, I'm a believer in Jones. It's very unfortunate that he's had this neck injury. Uh, that's come about. He hasn't been able to stay on the football field, but remember Russell Wilson is 33 years old and uh, you know, it it carries a lot more of a financial burden where I feel like we'd be replaying Eli Manning's last year's all, all over again. I don't want to see that happening where we're, we're losing for another five plus years. Um, You're saying with Daniel Jones? Well, I think we'd potentially be a losing franchise for another five years if we brought in Russell Wilson. Because we well, well, you're all, you've already been a losing franchise for the last five years since you've sorry, uh, for yeah, the last ten for the for the last ten, with the exception of 2016. That was the right. one. So for the past five years in a row, you've been a losing franchise, just like the Jets had. But um, so you know, you're not really. Right. I don't know. I don't like this notion of like, well, we can't go for it because. It's not the right time. I mean, okay, it, it may not be a perfect solution, but I'd still rather go be more ambitious and go after the big players. Yeah, to, to each their own. Uh, but we got to move on here. This is a discussion we'll continue at a different time. We're going to preview some of the top Week 15 NFL games. Nick, obviously, 36 players placed on the COVID-19 reserve list, and the number continues to go up. Uh, not good. And that could potentially impact the 
playoff picture. We'll start with the NFC and some of the key games this week. Washington at Philadelphia. Uh, the guest I had on earlier tonight is a Vikings fan. Five teams sitting at six and seven. Philadelphia and Washington are two of those five teams. And a quick update. Uh, Terry McLaurin is questionable yet again, so uh, I wouldn't get too scared yet about Scary Terry potentially not playing. No, no pun intended. No pun intended there. But uh, you know, without Logan Thomas, without McLaurin, without Chase Young, Jonathan Allen just got placed on the COVID list. Taylor Heineke's going to have a tough time against Philadelphia, and I'm shocked that I'm saying this, but I think the Eagles definitely have an upper hand here in this game. Uh, They've overperformed this year. I I think the Eagles have overachieved a little bit, Nick. Favored by four and a half points. Yeah, I think right now, at least, even though Washington has been hot as of late, their COVID issues and the injuries they've been dealing with, um, it might be too much to stop Philly on the road here. Yeah, I don't think Washington's not winning this. There's just too much going on for them right now. And I also, I, I like... I like the Eagles offense a lot better just in general. I mean, even if they were playing at Washington, I would probably take Philly, but Philly seems like the superior team right now. And it looks like Jalen Hurts is going to start, not Gardner Minshew. Minshew had a one week of Minshew mania, a one week as we like to call it. <laughs> the best part is like, I would love to see Minshew on the Jets, but like, you know. <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd already be your best quarterback once yeah, he gets exactly. on, the, on the team, so. Um, he killed us, I, I mean, like, and that's the backup. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think he's a good football player. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see what he could do uh, if he somehow gets in there on Sunday, although that is highly unlikely. Um, another game, too, that's really uh, interesting to me, the Green Bay Packers take on the Baltimore Ravens. Both quarterbacks in this game dealing with injuries. Lamar Jackson – avoided a high ankle sprain he is projected to play and Aaron Rodgers with his foot issue um Nick do you think the Lamar Jackson injury will affect Baltimore's ability to run do you think we're going to see Jackson stepping back more to throw uh especially with the Ravens running back injuries they've had all year yeah yeah, a, a lot more so than a lot more so than it would affect Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers, I think, I, I feel like he could like play on a broken foot and figure everything out. Like he could just, but you know, Lamar Jackson's more of a running quarterback than Aaron Rodgers is. So any type right. of injury is going to affect the the Ravens much more than it's going to affect the Packers. Not to mention the Packers are clearly the superior team. I mean, they're possibly the best team in the NFL right now. I mean, Baltimore's done all right, but they haven't been the same. So. Overall, I mean, the Packers, I do think, clearly have the edge. But, yes, any type of – because Lamar Jackson has such a strong run game and not just a strong run game, but, like, he's particularly fast and he runs up the yeah. middle. and doesn't. He's not like a Russell Wilson, really. So any type of injury is going to affect them a lot more. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I, think, I think Aaron Rodgers can kind of – like, Aaron Rodgers legit could, like, hobble down the field. The I think, only issue – the only issue with Rodgers, it has nothing to do with him. His offensive line is all banged up. I mean, we saw Al Michaels talking about it the other night. Billy Turner had to leave the game. So their offensive line is in shambles. That's what concerns me. But yeah, uh, it's not like Baltimore has applied much pressure up front as of late. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, 
what happens. But right now, I think if I'm Baltimore, I'm really concerned about dipping out of these playoffs because Cleveland is right up your throats, even with their COVID issues. Uh, and, and they're trending down at the wrong time. Uh, granted, yeah, but, but the one thing they have got going for them is that they're in a weak, they're in a pretty weak conference. They're in the yeah. weaker of the two conferences, I should say. I agree. I mean, and even, they still if have ended, even if the season ended today, Buffalo would be in. So I don't know. I don't think you have to be that good of a team to make the playoffs in the AFC. You just have to be a little over 500, and the Ravens could do that easily. Right. And I'm looking at the weapons they still have on offense, Mark Andrews, Hollywood Brown, and Rashad Bateman. Uh, so that is a good trio to have in addition to Lamar Jackson, despite the running back injuries. What really concerns me is the defense, both starting corners out for the season, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. So that's where I get a little concerned. Uh, yeah, if, Baltimore does, if Baltimore does manage to get in, I think they're definitely a one and done, sadly. But D- Depending as, on who they play. Right. As you mentioned, the AFC, it's very unpredictable. This and it's year. weaker. It's weaker. Mm-hmm. Where you can't even count out the Steelers, you know? They're not far off because the Bengals lost too. I still like the Bengals over the Steelers, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. You can't really um, count any of these. Any team above 500 right now, you can't count out. Yeah. So I'm going to lean Green Bay in this game over Baltimore, even though they're on the road. I just think right now the Packers, not only what I've seen from their offense, but their defense has been outstanding. They, you know, they got Devondre Campbell, who's rose onto the scene. They really wanted a good linebacker, and they got one out of him. Uh, I like their pass rush with Preston and Zadarius, and their secondary is really, really good. You know, they they finally have a unit there defensively. Kenny Clark up the middle on that line, that nose tackle who stops the – who bleeds runs all the time. They're good, and their defense is scary. They probably have a top-10 defense in the league right now, which is something they didn't have last year. And most of them. You know, most of uh, Aaron Rodgers' career. Exactly. And, Nick, you can correct me here if uh, this isn't true, but isn't Green Bay the number one seed now with Arizona yes. losing? Yes, the because Packers they beat Arizona. Beat Arizona, yeah. Yes. Yes. So it looks like, so far, the Packers right now look like the best team in the league. Right. Um, and the best record right now in the league is 10-3. and three. You know, it's been the season of parity. So... Speaking of 10 and 3 teams, let's move on to the Bucks. They host the New Orleans Saints, Nick. Um, hopefully, uh, the Bucks, for your sake as a Jets fan, beat up on the team that just beat up on your guys this past week. Tom Brady threw his 700th career touchdown pass on Sunday to beat the Bills in overtime, as I mentioned earlier. Brady at 44 years old, 4,100 passing yards, 36 touchdowns, and there's still four games to go. Yeah, I, I think I mean the Saints are like it, the Bucks. It's it's crazy that they have like a forty four year old quarterback, and I look at all the lines, and they're favored by like 10, 11, 12 points against all these teams. Yeah. Um, it, th- that's pretty amazing. Um, but I mean, this game is not even. It's not going to be close. No, it, um, it won't. I mean, the Saints are they're six and seven. Yeah, and they're playing at Tampa Bay. I mean, uh, Tampa Bay should win by two touchdowns or more, probably. I think Kamara is going to have issues because you have Vita Vea up front with Shaq Barrett, Devin White, Levante David. I mean, the, the Bucks have players that could stop the run. If you contain Kamara, then Taysom Hill is in a whole world of trouble. In fact, 
I mean, this would be the wrong game to bench Taysom Hill, but I think the Saints should give Ian Book a look. Uh, maybe not this week, but maybe next week, right? Because you don't know what you have in Ian Book, and this would be an opportune time to try him out because I feel like Taysom Hill is better in his own role, you know? As so, the occasional run-the-ball guy. And I think Ian Book is has potential to be a quarterback in this league. I mean, again, that, that that's not my Notre Dame bias pick uh, kicking in there, Nick. But I think Ian Book, as a floor, it could be a serviceable backup in this NFL. I think he has potential to one day be a starter if things fall into his place. Now, I don't think that is likely, but I think he deserves a look at this point in the season because I personally don't think the Saints are going anywhere. Yeah, but they're probably not going to do that because usually when teams are as bad as the Saints or as good as the Saints are, they don't like it's kind of working. I mean, I get that they're losing, but they're not so bad where they're like, oh, my God, we have to make a change. So I don't really see them doing that. I mean, I don't know how how much faith they have in Ian Book. I mean, you might be right. He'll probably be a serviceable backup, but, you know, a backup. I don't know how much they wanted to start. Just think drop the six and eight. Yeah, if you drop the six and eight, then you're in trouble, you know. So uh, we'll see what happens there Um, again. You also have to remember, like, if Sean Payton – you also have to remember, if Sean Payton um, benches Taysom Hill for Ian Book and then they're terrible, even for, like, a game, it's all on him. It would be like – even if they have a shot. Like, at this point, I'm not saying the Saints are a playoff team, but it would look so bad on Sean Payton and the whole coaching staff if they do that that they probably don't want to do that. Definitely. Uh, let's move on to the Chiefs at the Chargers. Big Thursday night matchup. I know we're all looking forward to catching that one. Patrick Mahomes against Justin Herbert. Herbert with 30 touchdowns already on the year, 3,800 passing yards. And the Chargers are 8-5. and five. The Chiefs are 9-4. and four. L.A. took the first game. Uh, Nick, do the Chargers complete the season sweep against the Chiefs or do uh, the Chiefs? No. No. Brian, this one the out on the Chiefs the right now, they look too good. I, I mean, what we've seen from the Chiefs so far is, I mean, I'm not saying they're as good as they were last year or that they're as good as, say, a team like the Cardinals or the Packers, but the Chiefs, like we see with a lot of other top-tier teams, is they, they're kind of weak in the beginning, September, October, and then post-Thanksgiving, they really turn on the Jets. Uh, that's kind of what the Chiefs look like right now, even though, you know, their past record doesn't really say it, being 9-4. and four. Right. But right now, they... They clearly, to me, look like the stronger team. The only thing for the Chargers that's holding them together is that they're playing at home. But I, I take the Chiefs minus three. I would too, especially the uncertainty if Keenan Allen is going to be ready to play. Yeah, we don't uh, even know if Keenan, Keenan Allen is playing. Yeah, although we saw what Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer could do last week, but granted, it was against the Giants, so yeah. the, the Chiefs are a little yeah. bit of a different story. <laughs> Uh, the the Chiefs defense, it's been better over the last four weeks, but it's still not good in my book. No, but Mahomes is just so great or could be so great. Like yeah. he hasn't been that great this season. But like I said, I think they've gotten like they're not the same weak team that they were in the beginning no. of the season. Like they're yeah. so much stronger now. And I think they would be it, yeah. they would be the Chargers. And there's a chance they still might be the one in the AFC after all of this. They, Kansas they probably will. Right. They I mean, seem far and above better than all the other AFC teams. 
Well, they're better. I mean, than as much as people love to criticize the Chiefs, which I think is fair. I mean, the Bills haven't had a great season either. They're like no. seven and six, they, and they, like they've yeah. been a real disappointment. I mean, so the yeah. same thing can be said about them too. Yeah, uh, they should have never lost that Jacksonville game. I think that's the one game that I thought for sure they were going to win. But even if they had won that game, they wouldn't even be winning their division. No, yeah. I mean, you're right. But to be fair, the Bucs didn't win their division last year. They ended up winning the whole thing. So I think with the the Bills, I think their biggest thing is you don't want to end up as the seventh seed. You want to move up a little bit, maybe – get to the five or the six area where, you know, you have a better shot where you don't draw. I don't think you want to draw new England or Kansas city in round one. If those happen to be the top two teams, not on the road. No, absolutely not. I mean, new England is beatable for sure. Um, Yeah. But I mean, like they have a rookie quarterback. I mean, it's, they're beyond beatable, but right. Um, it, it, like losing that game last week. I mean, the Bills shouldn't be a weaker team than the than the Patriots right now. It's just that they got out coached. Well, speaking of the Patriots, let's talk about them. They play Saturday night against the in, Indianapolis Colts. Um, Saturday? Of, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we have two Saturday games this week. They're playing against the Indianapolis Colts, who are now all of a sudden 7-6. and six. I believe the Colts started the season out 0-4, and and now they've won seven out of their last nine. Jonathan Taylor, best running back in the NFL this season, Uh, 16 touchdowns, over 1,300 yards. He is in MVP talks. That's how crazy that this has become. Uh, But granted, the Colts, in my opinion, have – the best offensive line in the AFC, potentially the best in the league. They're a fun team. They are. They're a fun they really team. Are. I mean, like, they're not a great team, but they're a fun team. And, like, like they started off bad, but, you know, they're just a fun offense to watch. Believe it or not, the Colts are actually favored. Yeah, they're favored by two, I believe. Two and a half. Oh, okay, two and a half. So the line two and a half, they're favored. I mean, look, I, I'm re- I really Ooh. want the Colts because I hate <laughs> New England, but New England's going to win. That's a good on some really like bizarre. I'm telling you, on some like bizarre um, sort of maybe fourth quarter comeback or something like that, the Patriots are going to win because they always win these games. I would take New England there on on, on that. Yeah, in true Belichick fashion, that's what's going to happen. I don't want it to, but I, I think it will. I think it will too. I mean, Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman has been a nice second year player for the Colts. He's starting to emerge into their number one receiver if he hasn't already uh partially due to the fact that ty hilton's season has been riddled with injuries but michael pittman's that guy out of usc big tall target for carson Wentz. you know he's done a nice job so you know happy for him happy for jonathan taylor and that the colts could potentially be heading back to the playoffs and the division is not out of line yet i mean tennessee's nine and four but they're limping a little bit uh, yeah, they beat Jacksonville, but you know they got some tough games too. It's going to take a lot for the Colts to pull that one out, but uh, the playoffs are not far fetched. Yeah, I, I really want to see the Colts six. in the playoffs. There's six. The one right team now. I really want to see in. Yeah. Uh, Titans, Titans and Steelers. This game, Tennessee is favored on the road against Pittsburgh. Not by much, though. No, Steelers are six, six, and one. Uh, 
you know, Deontay Johnson had a great game last week. He's had a great season. Uh, he was drop city last year, but, uh, you know, he's emerged into that guy after, you know, Juju, the season ending injury, him and Chase Claypool, Pat Fryermuth, the tight end, has really picked up the slack. Um, where are you leaning towards in this one? This is one game I'm having a lot of trouble predicting because I feel like the Titans should win, but this could be a trap game for them. You know, Mike Tomlin's probably pissed. You just lost to Minnesota. You're back at home. They haven't finished under 500 under Mike Tomlin. And it feels like this is a game that Pittsburgh could booby trap Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee is not, Tennessee is, hasn't, they're almost like the reverse chiefs. Like they're kind of dragging their feet now. It seems like, you know what I mean? Um, But uh, I don't like the Steelers this year. They're just, they just seem like such a weak team. I, I would take, I would take Tennessee. I mean, I mean, they're favored, but barely, but I don't know. I, I really, My gut is just telling me Tennessee is winning this. I would lean Tennessee as well. Um, and then the last game I want to talk about is the Bengals at the Broncos. Two seven and six teams. Denver is favored by a slim margin at home. Javante Williams has really been starting to come on in the Broncos' backfield. Nick, are you buying these Denver Broncos? Can they make a run into the postseason with what they've got? Because now they're a very interesting team. Yeah, I, I think they – I mean, I think they can make the postseason. I don't think they would make a very big run in the postseason, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I like the Bengals better. I like Joe Burrow better than Bridgewater. I like the quarterback play better. So, I don't know. I, I like – I mean, I get they're playing at home in Denver slightly favored, but overall as a team, I think the Bengals are more complete. Yeah, that's a tough game. That's probably a pick em type of game. Um, Denver is favored. They are slightly favored. And a lot of Denver's wins this year, with the exception of Dallas, have come against bad teams like the Giants, yeah. the Jets, the Lions, the Texans. You know, like they haven't really beaten the cream of the crop. But they do own that win against Dallas. I will say that they own that win. Yes, um, but I, I like I like the Bengals just as a team better. Yeah, I mean they've lost two in a row now, so they're trying to rebound. You think they're going to lose? Like I don't think they're going to lose three in a row. Yeah, no. To a I team think, like Denver, like a winnable game. Yeah, and Cincinnati. You know they 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 just T Higgins has been playing really well as of late. So yeah. I would, go, take, I would take uh, Cincinnati. I'm going to go Cincinnati as well. All right. So, Nick, um, your favorite topic, yeah. college football. Yes. Uh, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young wins the 2021 Heisman Trophy. Uh, this is the second year in a row that a Bama player has won it. What are your thoughts on Bryce Young? Do you think he deserved to win the Heisman Trophy, or was there somebody else that you had in mind? Yeah, I, I think he – it's not that I don't think he deserved to win it. I, I think there's a certain level of SEC bias. I mean, I kind of think that if Kenny Pickett were playing in, playing for Alabama or an SEC team, he probably would have run it, would have won it. He was probably more deserving. But I don't know. To be completely honest with you, as big of a college football player uh, fan as I am, I really don't care that much about the Heisman. It's just, it's just one thing I – I don't know. I don't put that much value into it. Usually I can tell who's going to win, but – I don't know. I, I mean, I don't always agree with who's going to win, with who wins it. I thought uh, Tua should have won it instead of Kyler Murray. Uh, but in general, I don't know. I just don't care that much. 
It's just not something I care about that much. I don't think it's a good predictor of who the best players are going to be. And it's just something a guy wins. I don't know. So I actually agree with you um, because a lot of the Heisman winners in the past have not gone on. Some of them have been terrible. Yeah, some of them have been really bad uh, NFL players. But, look, uh, I'll tell you, congrats to Bryce Young. He's led this Bama team in what's been supposedly a down year to them to the number one seed in the college football playoff SEC champs. So congrats. But tonight we're not talking about that. Yeah. We're talking about. I was just going to say, like, if it was if Kenny Pickett played for Alabama and Bryce Young played for Pitt, I think it's kind of clear what would have happened. Oh yeah, no, of course, of course. Uh, Let's talk about the transfer portal. Uh, Speaking of quarterbacks, there have been a lot that have been on the move, and the biggest name is Spencer Rattler transferring to South Carolina from Oklahoma. His tight end. I'm sorry. He went to USC. Oh, yeah, the other USC. (laughs) Um, You got me there. Uh, (laughs) His tight end, Austin Stockner, heading there with him. The two players will reunite with Shane Beamer, former Oklahoma assistant in Rattler's first two seasons. He is now head coach of the Gamecocks. On the year, Rattler had just 11 touchdowns and five picks before he was benched for the true freshman, Caleb Williams, and Rattler has two years of eligibility left. Nick, this is a guy a lot of people thought at the beginning of the year could be the number one quarterback in college football and potentially the number one pick in the draft. Wow, has that changed. <laughs> what a bust that was. Really, really he was fast. So bad. I mean, Oklahoma just it was a dumpster fire this year. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how he just was potentially the number one pick in the draft or no, or, or at least the number one quarterback in the draft and downgraded schools, like totally downgraded schools. Like how often do we even think about South Carolina? Not much. It's it, they're just, you know, a steerage type of school. If that's a term. It, it, like they're like yeah. the lowest rung of the sec. Uh, yeah. And that's basically what uh, South Carolina is. And that's a real downgrade. I'd say usually we see quarterbacks upgrade, but he just went, he got essentially got demoted pretty much he wasn't right. good enough to play at Oklahoma. No. And I get it. Like you could look at it as a leap in a sense where big 12 team to an sec team, but mm. I mean, that's where Oklahoma's heading anyway. Right. So no. Yeah. I mean, no, because Oklahoma is a big program. South Carolina is not, they just happen to be, be in a big conference. So who cares? Did I tune in at the right time? Yes, you did, Walt. We're talking about your Gamecocks right now, getting Spencer Rattler. Paul Lombardi says, nice water jug, Nick. <laughs> um, if you could pull that out for the folks. and it, Can can you explain the, the theory behind this water jug? Because ever since I've known you, you carry that thing around with you everywhere. What is it with you and water jugs, Nick? It's a more convenient way to consume water. This is that's really the reason. And just more more water. You don't have to keep refilling. I don't have to fill it up and do all of the shenanigans. I just have it right here and I chug it. And they're pretty cheap too, right? Those they're water really jugs? cheap. They're like a little they're like a dollar fifty. Where can people find water jugs if they want to go invest in one? Everywhere. You could be in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and you could find a water jug. Like at a grocery store. <laughs> Like you could be in the middle of Iowa and, you know, Kirk Ferentz is watching, you know, I know there's nothing near you, but I'm sure there's a store somewhere with water jugs. Yeah. Um, But back to, 
back, back to Spencer Rattler here because that's who we're talking about. Um, obviously, this is an upgrade for the Gamecocks and what they have at the at the QB position, but uh, in no way do I think this makes the Gamecocks a threat in the SEC at all. No, uh, I think no, no. Rattler will probably have a better 2022 season. I think he could potentially enter his name back into the NFL draft after next season. I don't know if he'll play both years at South Carolina, but he'll definitely play at least one. Uh, I think he's a player that really needs to improve through his progressions and the deep ball. Uh, He was kind of a game manager at Oklahoma, and I kind of want to see him take more risks downfield because he had some really good players at Oklahoma. I I believe Marvin Mims is still there, right? So, I mean, there, there are players on this roster who are really good, and I felt like Rattler failed to utilize them. It's not that Rattler was ever losing Oklahoma games because they were winning, but they were eventually bound to lose, and they were winning a lot of games too close for comfort, which I think is why they ultimately made the quarterback change to Caleb Williams. Yeah, I mean, they almost lost to Texas, and like losing to Texas is like losing to an elementary school. Come, come, like, Texas is like an elementary school. They were terrible. Uh, let's uh, let's hold your horses there on that one. Uh, they were terrible. Texas, they that they were. Uh, they had trouble deciding between Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. So I, I think that is an interesting thing, but. Quinn Ewers is going home there. Now, Quinn Ewers is going home to Texas uh, from Ohio State. Uh, Quinn Ewers is a guy who is a former five-star recruit, joins a crowded quarterback room with Casey Thompson and Hudson Card, and has four years of eligibility. What do you think about the Longhorns and their quarterback situation now with Quinn Ewers in the mix? I don't know. I mean, I never really saw him play. It was just I don't know how good he's going to be. With I mean, maybe it's going to be maybe it'll be a great addition, and you know they'll be they'll be a powerhouse again. But you know, in my lifetime, yeah. this hasn't been a power. I, I mean, in the past, not well in my lifetime, but in the past, you know, in the, within the past decade since they haven't had Mac since they fired Mac Brown, yeah. have they been a powerhouse? Is is he going to make them a powerhouse? Yeah, I don't. Are they know. going to be able to compete in the SEC? Like, do I care that much about Quinn Ewers transferring to Texas? Realistically, no, but it is a name to keep note of because the Longhorns have not had a really great quarterback since the days of Colt McCoy and Vince Young, right? And right. Quinn Ewers being right. a five star recruit could really be the first guy since them to shine when the lights are on bright. So look out for Quinn Ewers next year. In yeah, I mean, you're right, but you also have to remember they're going to be playing a tougher schedule in, well, not next year, but when they join the SEC. Uh, and that's going to affect them a lot too. I, I mean, they kind of have to hope. I mean, the thing with Texas is that they, when they were best, they were the second best team in the Big Twelve. That's how they were at best, which was a few years ago. Yeah. They they were the second best team in the Big Twelve. Um, and if that's the best you can, do, I mean, maybe they'll be able to get much better. But I haven't seen it. No. Um, and another team who is changing quarterbacks is USC. Kadan Slovis will be transferring from USC. Obviously, they brought in Lincoln Riley as the, as the new head coach. We all know about that story with, with how much they're giving him to coach at USC. Slovis was injured earlier this year, just 11 touchdowns and eight interceptions, still undecided where he is going to transfer. So, uh, Nick, this was another name that I thought was in mock drafts this year, and now – 
he's on the move as well. Kind of like a similar feat to Rattler here, but um, not as much, not as much. Well, because I mean, he plays I mean, in the Pac-12. Well, the interesting thing is, uh, I actually had a USC. I made a bet that USC would win the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. See how that worked out. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, that, you were very wrong with that. Who, I was very wrong on that. Utah uh, won the Pac-12, I think. Utah did, yes. Yeah, because or Oregon were frauds. Uh, Notre Dame should have been ranked above Wake Forest than Oregon. Just my opinion, but they were. Uh, well, like originally. Oh, I don't care about that. All right, I know. You <laughs> no, know nobody cares. I do. I, nobody cares about preseason rankings. Next up, Dylan Gabriel leaving UCF, likely headed to Ole Miss. Played only the first three games this year, nine touchdowns and three interceptions. Um, Ole Miss, I'm trying to remember who played. Oh, Matt Corral. Yeah, they need a Matt Corral replacement. He's heading to the draft. So Dylan Gabriel likely heading there to the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, what do you think of this move? Did you get to catch? I, I mean, I know Dylan Gabriel plays for a, a, a G5 school, but do you think, obviously, he's no Matt Corral, but uh, I don't necessarily hate this move. No, I mean, it's a replacement. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't seen him play that much, but I don't see why you can't go from a team like you see a quarterback can't, why he's incapable of playing with Ole Miss. Right. You, know, you just coach him a little bit better. Very true. And then run him another. within a system, I guess you could do. And then Max Johnson announced that he will be leaving LSU uh, two seasons there. This was his first full year starting, 27 touchdowns. The coach and then Walker Howard going with him to LSU again. This is kind of like a Slovis situation where the quarterbacks on the outs here. Where do you think Max Johnson? ends up do you think he stays in the sec or where do you think he's heading because for joe burrow's uh successor he wasn't necessarily bad no i mean i don't know where is he even expected to go i have no idea i uh i could make a guess but trying to think who needs a quarterback right now couldn't I mean maybe Texas A and M because Calzada yeah maybe maybe he'll go to well. I was thinking maybe A and M but I don't know I, I like I, I'm not exactly I haven't read up on where he's expected to transfer yeah. to though he wasn't yeah. like I said he wasn't bad with LSU so I don't know why he had to transfer he could go to UCF yeah I don't think he should but that is an option it would certainly be a huge downgrade that that to say the least. Yeah, to go from a school like LSU to UCF, but you know we've—it's not like it's, it's not you know Kyle Allen went from A and M to Houston, so it's not like it's something we haven't seen before, right? And, and that is a good point. Uh, I also think Cincinnati could be in the mix for a new quarterback as well. Desmond, yeah, Ritter Desmond Ritter is graduating is, uh, draft, I believe. Uh, yep, he he will be graduating this year, so that'll be interesting to talk. Maybe about. Maybe a team like Cincinnati. Um, Jack Plummer leaving Purdue, lost his starting job to uh, Aiden O'Connell. Plummer started the first four games, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. But Plummer is on the outs, as well as Aiden Martinez, who played four years at Nebraska, but does have one year of eligibility left. Did not look good. Uh, Man, I mean, the Big Ten had some type of year where everybody just beat each other up. and That's every year. I don't know what to make of Aiden Martinez. I think he's kind of overrated. 
Uh, I don't think he's rated that high. Yeah, but he's. I feel like he's always. I feel like he's talked about a, a little too much. You know. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not really a big fan of this. I don't. I, I mean, ultimately, I don't know where he's going to end up. But I have no idea where most. Honestly, I, don't, I have no idea where most of these guys are going to end up. Like, this is news that just came in. I don't know uh, exactly what's going to happen. Um, yeah. in, I don't know. I, I don't think Nebraska is really ever talked about that much. Anyway, most people probably don't know who Aiden Martinez is. So. Yeah, unless you're a fan of the Big Ten. And unless you're a big Big Ten fan or big college football fan. Right. And then the last name we need to talk about, and I'm surprised we didn't mention this school for Max Johnson, but Auburn, Bo Nix, is transferring as well. Uh, he, he might be going to UCF. That's the rumor. 11 touchdowns, three picks. Uh, what do you think? If you had a guess for him. I mean, I, I know this is all tongue-in-cheek talk right now, but – uh, Bo Nix is a big name. Apparently, well, you're right. I mean, the rumors have said he's going to UCF, but I really have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I guess my guess would be UCF, but you think USC might want him? They might. They don't have um, a quarterback. I mean, maybe he would go there. Um, I don't know how much they like Jackson Dart, so maybe he would go there, but I don't know. I, UCF and USC look like the top two options, in my opinion. They sure do. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where all these quarterbacks end up. But uh, Nick, I actually want to keep you on here because I, I know you know you, you've been doing some recordings for us lately, and uh, I know you're an Islanders fan. And I want to talk about your last place Islanders um, with UBS opening up. First off, have you been to the arena yet out in Long Island? No, I have not. Any any desire to check it out? No, no, they're last. They're in last place. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the answer I expected. Uh, Nick no, uh, no. Look, I'm not going to drive. First of all, getting to Long Island is such a pain. I don't want to go all the way out there just to see the last place Islanders. I mean, you really have to. Like, if you're going to give me like a car service, like a limo, and then you go out there, all right, maybe. But you well, know, I don't want to sit in traffic just to watch the Islanders this year. 7-11-5 right now. They did beat the Devils on Saturday, 4-2. to two. They got goals from Dobson, former Devil, Andy Green, Zach Parise, and uh, Gabriel Peugeot. And Sorokin had 30 saves in net. And speaking of UBS Arena, the Islanders are just 1-5-2 at UBS Arena. So a real sluggish start at the Islanders' new home. But I've heard a lot of great things about it. It's a very nice place. Um, so hopefully the Islanders can get back on track. They're trailing the Detroit Red Wings on the road right now, one nothing midway through the second period. So hopefully they're able to get things going there. Um, the Red Wings 13-12-3 on the season. And then my New York Rangers 18-6-3, very different from the Islanders. I feel like they've kind of swapped places Um Maybe not really because the Rangers were okay last year, but they're at the Colorado Avalanche tonight. They lost to the Avs 7-3 to back on December 8th. That was last week. And uh, the Rangers also, I mean, they've won eight out of their last 10, but their last two losses are against the Avs and then against the Predators at home this weekend. Nashville swept their four-game road trip. Nick, the Rangers are tied second in the Metro right now. Uh, what are your thoughts on them? Are you impressed with the way the Rangers have come out early on this year? Very. 
Very. I did not expect them to go eight, 18, 6, and 3. That means they tripled their wins compared to their losses. Yeah. Through 27 games. 30, 39 points through 27 games. I, I got to admit, it is a great feat. But, I mean, they've really lucked out with the, with the draft picks. With Kako, he, he's been performing. Uh, Panarin has been great. Chris Kreider living up to his deal. Hasn't and Chris Igor, Kreider been on the Rangers for like 10 years? He has, yeah, since 2012. He's he's been he's been a mainstay. Um, he's the guy who hurt uh, Carey Price, right? I think so. Um, <laughs> I don't remember, but Kreider also got hurt right before COVID last year when they gave him that uh, contract extension. He was playing super well, and he went down with a brutal injury, and now you know he he's been back. But I'm a little concerned, though. Uh, while the Rangers won their previous eight games, the last two games they have lost at home at the Garden, so that is not good. Despite winning eight out of your last ten, you can't complain too much, but they are on a two-game losing streak, and they do play Colorado tonight. But there is a lot of promise. Panarin, Kreider, Reeves, the new coach, Gerard Gallant, who I love. Um, Igor, 13-3 and in net. Can't complain about these New York Rangers. So Yeah, I, I just wish, I wish they weren't good. Uh, I feel the same about the Islanders. I'm kind of happy they're not <laughs> yeah, But good. they're not good. You don't have to wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, Nick, I, I wanted to thank you very much for joining me tonight. No, thanks this, for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Is there anything you want to add before you go? Um, no. Is there anything – is there something I should add? It, I don't know. I mean, you're taking a nice big sip out of that water jug there. So, <laughs> well, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've been making recordings. I don't know where that's going to go. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's it, it's definitely been a lot of fun talking to you tonight, and we'll 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 definitely uh, yeah. Thanks have, for having me. Have to have you back on the show in the future, but uh, Nick, pre- appreciate your time, and we will oh, talk to thanks you. Thanks for soon. having me. I appreciate that was Nick DiMartino from uh, North Jersey and great guest. Really liked having Nick on tonight. That was a lot of fun. Had him on for almost a full hour. Also talked to Luke Braun tonight, host of the locked on Vikings podcast. He was definitely a great guest. Uh, Really enjoyed having him and uh, folks really appreciate you all tuning into review and preview here tonight. Remember to tune in to our New York Giants show, Big Blue Avenue, on Thursday night, where Hank and I will be recapping the Giants' loss to the Chargers a little more in depth. We will have a uh, short segment from the girl who talks sports, Sam Cardona, who will recap Michael Strahan's trip into space this past Saturday. And he was on the Fox pregame show on Sunday, so... Sam will record a short little five to seven minute video about how that went. We'll play that live for you. Um, And then next week on review and preview next Tuesday night, we will have Andy Hopper host of the brew party on the show. He'll be on to talk about his teams, Chicago bears talk about the NFL playoff picture and much more. But until then folks, thank you so much for watching. You have been watching review and preview here on Facebook live. Have a good night, everybody.